Hello, and welcome to the next episode of TransPerfect Lifesight Talks. I'm Mark Wade. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Batchy. Elizabeth is a senior research scientist at the Evadera Research Group. Elizabeth, welcome. Thanks Thank for joining you. me today. I thought we might just, just, I guess, dive in there and talk about digital health because digital health, first, first and foremost, is a very broad thing, but where I normally live is downstream, where the instrument is already prescribed, we know what the patient cohort is, we know what this measure is going to do, and then we decide what modality we're going to capture. But where you live is very interesting because you live much earlier in the phase where you're actually developing instruments and making them useful and purposeful. So maybe we could talk about that for a moment, what I call the meaningful instruments. So where I live in our patient-centered research group is typically we work with patient-reported outcomes, developing patient-reported outcomes, and a key facet of that is determining First, what is meaningful? What outcomes are meaningful to patients? And how can we ensure that instruments are fit for purpose? And a lot of these same concepts apply to selecting digital health tools, digital health technologies, and kind of endpoints that come out of digital health tools. And what's always important before you get to the clinical trial setting is determining, is this measure fit for purpose? So does it measure the concept of interest in the context of use that you want to use it in the patient population you want to use it. And part of what goes into that is determining what's meaningful to patients, like you said. I suppose including in all of that, because that's a huge thing, but including all of that is the patient's physiology and culturally, very, very broad, but this is at the get-go. So maybe we could talk briefly then about the, as we're selecting certain modalities. So in other words, do we choose the modality, the instrument, and then backward engineer it, or really, are we doing this the right way where we're developing the instrument for purpose? Yeah. So in an ideal world, we would want to first get the perspective of the patient on what outcome is meaningful to them before we select the tool. So the same kind of principles we use in patient reported outcome selection and development, we can use for digital health technologies. So that's doing things like um, doing qualitative interviews with patients, doing focus groups with patients that are going to be the patient population selected for a clinical trial, for example. So say you have a, a group of patients, older patients with congestive heart failure and you're going into a clinical trial setting and you say, I want to use a mobile device to measure their activity. So those are called actigraphy monitors. They measure the amount of time people are in physical activity, their gait and their cadence and their speed. But we don't know if patients with congestive heart failure even find the amount of minutes they spend in physical activity. We would want to do interviews with those patients to ask them, you know, if you had a treatment to help you with your congestive heart failure, what would be meaningful for you to change or improve upon. And they could say, oh, I don't care about being able to run or walk up 10 flights of stairs. But instead they say, I want to be able to play with my grandchildren, take care of them. I want to be able to get up, get dressed in the morning. And so maybe using that sort of activity monitor isn't the most appropriate outcome. So yeah, it's just important to think about from the perspective of the patient, what is important to them before going into selecting a device and kind of like you're saying, back engineer into, you know, finding concepts that are important. That is real quality of life because yes. a lot of the time the yep. instruments that we use, you know, yes, we capture the biometric information, you know, we're we getting x-rays and pictures and MRIs and all that good stuff and bloods, but this is the experience and this is true quality of life experience. What might be important to us might not be important to the patient. We use particular instruments in clinical sessions where we're, monitoring patients like in the MSA, what is it, MSA 18 or MS12? 
walk, right? We're monitoring the patient's speed and their gait and all that good stuff. And we can video that these days. You know. mm-hmm. But you were talking about like patients who are like elderly. Um, so let's talk, let's talk about the dexterity. How do we capture the dexterity? I suppose my question is going to be, do we, how do we capture that electronically? Can we do it or maybe it's not the way do you tell me? Yeah, so I mean, with endpoints like that, I, it may be useful to use like a, a dual approach where you are using some sort of digital health monitor that can capture some of the things you can physically see and pair that with some sort of patient reported outcome measure that you can talk about, you know, how easy it is for them to button their shirt, how easy it is for them to get dressed by themselves in the morning. You're kind of alluding to the fact that sometimes, you know, digital health tools just may not be able to capture some some of these sorts of outcomes and using a you know a dual approach where you're capturing multiple types of information and you know considering those together could be the most useful because digital health tools maybe don't capture all, all of the you know important aspects that are important to patients that brings us to like the hybrid model we've been talking about for a long time that capturing things electronically everyone who's listening to this podcast knows the benefits of capturing electronically but the whole idea of capturing there were certain things that don't translate to use the pump but don't translate to a electronic modality so so the, would you be a proponent of this hybrid model where certain studies need to have a paper component certain studies need to have digital oh i definitely think that's useful and i think quality of life instruments are some of the best examples of types of concepts that may not be most easily captured using some sort of digital health tool. I mean, you can use an app on a phone that can send questionnaires to patients to say, you know, rate how easy it was for you to get dressed in the morning and those sorts of things. But that's really driven again by a patient reported outcome, well-developed items. And there are a lot of really good quality of life instruments that are well validated that have went through the, you know, patient reported outcome, FDA development process that can be used and paired with these other digital health tools to kind of get a more well-rounded assessment of a patient's well-being and their ability to do certain activities. And what about particular conditions where it's a very emotive uh, response? Let me give you an example. So you have a patient who's had some sort of bowel surgery and they're, they have, they're wearing either temporary colostomy bag, their heart wounds, or they've had a, a, a full resection and they're wearing a full-time colostomy bag. The stress levels on that patient when they're on the subway or on a bus are enormous. How do we capture that? Again, that can go back to using some sort of patient reported outcome of stress, anxiety, depression, anything like that. I mean, you could probably pair that with some sort of digital health monitor to get at, you know, maybe heart rate, some other like biosensors that could be used to capture, you know, elevations and physical, you know, reactions of the body. But it may also that like patients may not notice that that's important to them. So maybe pairing that with some sort of questionnaire about their anxiety or depression levels. And if they're exposed to some, say they're in a clinical trial setting and exposed to some, you know, drug, you can measure from the patient's perspective, have those episodes of being anxious and whatnot decreased with exposure to the study drug. I kind of wonder, it's back to what you said at the the start, the fit for purpose, meaningful. The meaningful endpoint for that patient might be not about wearing the bag, it's like the bag leaking in a public area or something like that. It's much more emotive. And, and again, we'd have to, to your point, the preliminary interviews that we do up front 
will dictate and, and, and inform those questions. Yeah, it's always more difficult when you go into those settings, having a device in mind and not quite being able to fit in, you know, an, an endpoint coming from that device that is meaningful to patients. So if you could start from the beginning with those types of, you know, patient-centered interviews, focus groups to really get at what's important to them, um, it could make it easier down the line. It does make a lot of sense because, again, it's, it's really normally where I get involved is mm -hmm. the instrument's already prescribed. Mm -hmm. The patients are, are almost enrolled. You know, they're, they're, we're, going, we're going to deliver this instrument to those patients. And sometimes that instrument might not be or might, might not capture all of the data that we wanted to capture. I'm probably learning, alluding to, you, you, you mentioned a number of times, you mentioned fit for purpose. I guess I'm curious around, uh, there's so many instruments out there today that were developed a number of years ago. Is there a need for a more rifled, pinpointed uh, instrument today? Yeah, I mean, they, there could be. Some, some instruments are very general, and sometimes they're not the most responsive to change across time. They don't, because they're, they weren't developed with a specific patient population in mind, they may not be so sensitive to change. And during the instrument development and validation process, that's one thing that we always want to look at is, is can the instrument detect responsiveness to change over time and even small amounts of change? And doing these types of, of interviews and other tests you know, early on can help you understand if in this patient population, if it's the right tool to use or not. And again, like because things like actigraphy monitors that measure gait and walking speed and that sort of thing, they're, they can sometimes be a little bit more blunt, maybe aren't as appropriate for certain patient populations like elderly patients, for example, or, um, or other groups that don't find, you know, the, the mechanism of action on a drug is more focused on something else that's not quite measured with those sorts of devices. Right. So some of those measures might not as focused. In my experience, yep. I think there is a increase in oncology instruments that are very focused. That certainly is a, a growth area. But for a lot of general well-being, we're still using instruments that are a general well-being instrument. I always, I always ask in my last question, and this is going to surprise you, I always say, if you had a magic wand, if I give you a magic wand, and said, what would you do to make the creation of these steps easier at the start or get people to understand that we need a hybrid model? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think just people having more time in the clinical trial development, clinical trial, um, you know, preparation process to be able to do these things right. I feel like a lot of, you know, sponsors come in, like you said, with an instrument that they want to use from the get-go. And just not having enough time to start at the beginning and really find um, outcomes that have a, you know, clear, that are clearly fit for purpose from the very beginning so we can really understand that they're targeted to the patient population. A lot of the time with, you know, selection of digital health tools, as well as um, just patient reported outcomes and ClinRose, you know, people don't, aren't allowed enough time when developing these clinical trials to be able to start from the beginning. I think that's a great point. It's, it's always about time. We feel it all, I mean, sure you do as well. We feel it all the time that things need to be faster, faster, faster. And yeah. we've got an FPI date that is, is right around the corner. Elizabeth, thank you so much. I really appreciate today. Today, I was talking to Dr. Elizabeth Bachi. She's a senior research scientist at the Evadera Research Group. I'm Mark Wade. Please join us next time for Trans Perfect Lifestyle Talks. Thank you. Thank you.